All right, my friend, it's time for episode 98 of the Sugar Mamas podcast, and the wonderful and talented Lissy Pointer is back with me today to discuss tips and tricks to keep blood sugar stable while exercising. Lissy was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was in college, and now she is the founder and CEO of the type 1 coaching company called Needles and Spoons. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, episode 97, please go back and do that. That one also featured Lissy and was a fantastic conversation about being flexible when it comes to diabetes management, and it had lots of practical tips and tricks on how to lower your A1C without losing your mind. I will leave a link in the show notes to that, so take a listen when you get the chance. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the Sugar Mamas Podcast, a show designed for moms and caregivers of type 1 diabetics. Here you'll find a community of like-minded people who are striving daily to keep their kids safe, happy, and healthy in the ever-changing world of type 1. I'm your host and fellow T1D mom, Katie Roseborough. Enjoy! Before we get started, I need you to know that nothing you hear on the Sugar Mamas podcast should be considered medical advice. Please be safe, be smart, and always consult your physician before making changes to the way you manage type 1 diabetes. Thanks! Hey everyone, I am back with Lissy Pointer today. Just a reminder, Lissy is the founder and creator of her T1D coaching business called Needles and Spoons, and they are focused on just a flexibility-centered way to manage type 1 diabetes so it doesn't interfere too much in your life. And today we're talking about exercise strategies for interruption-free workouts with type 1. So Lissy, I'm curious to know why is this topic so important to you? Yeah. So for for anybody who didn't catch our last episode, I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was 19. So I had a lot of years without type 1 diabetes and I grew up as a gymnast. So for about 10 years, I was doing very competitive sports. So I was very used to that feeling of, you know, being strong, being able to do whatever activity that I wanted. So when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was kind of given this very generalized advice of, you know, like keep your blood sugar over 150, keep low snacks with you. And every time that I went to go, you know, move my body, I just felt like my blood sugars always got in the way. And that was a really hard kind of like identity shift to feel of like, I can't do whatever activity that I want and things just feel harder. So I love the concept of having interruption-free workouts and kind of giving people the strategy behind how to navigate those because there's so much things that we're not told when it comes to exercise. So it's it just been a really big part of my journey. And, you know, now nine years later, I'm able to go to the gym, you know, four or five times a week without having to let my blood sugars get in the way. Of course, there's times where that happens. But I think having, you know, the knowledge, the strategy and the mindset around it is huge. So, yeah, that's that's kind of why it's so important to me. Yeah, I think this is so important, too. Obviously, I don't have type one, but I love to work out. I probably work out five or six days a week, just, you know, doing something, whether it's going for a walk or doing a little strength training video or whatever. And, and I know that I hate to be interrupted during a workout because that's like my stress relief and, you know, part of my self care. And it's like, you know, only a small piece of time during the day that I get to take time for myself. And, you know, even just getting like a phone call or, or, you know, where you have to stop and, and answer, it just kind of ruins the vibe a little bit. So I can imagine that having type one and, 
having to stop everything and treat either a high or low blood sugar would be super frustrating for sure. Right. Yeah. On both ends, really, because like on one end, it's, it's a practice of self-care, you know, mm-hmm. getting to move your body and do the things that you enjoy. Then on the other end, I have so many clients that come to us and they're like, I just want to do one thing that's really great for my body and like my blood sugars. I'm trying to be proactive and be intentional. But then I have this other component of the blood sugar standing in the way. So it almost feels like I'm, it feels really counterintuitive. And it's really frustrating when you're just trying to take care of your body, take care of your health. And instead, you have those interruptions of the higher low blood sugars. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell listeners if, you know, in case people aren't familiar, what types of physical activity tend to make people's blood sugars drop? Yeah. So I love this question because, again, I think this is one of those really generalized pieces of advice that we get from our endos. We are always kind of taught between our doctor's office or online information that it's just cardio that can make your blood sugars go lower. There's kind of that separation of if you're doing cardio versus weightlifting. And in reality, there's a lot more to that that strategy. There's a lot more to that back, that that basis. And it's not so much, I, I encourage my clients to think of exercise outside of just the category of what type of workout it is. Instead, I encourage them to look at what is the intensity of the workout that you're doing? Where is your heart rate sitting? So when we're talking about heart rate, we have kind of these two, we have our ventilatory thresholds, but let's just call them level one and level two. When you're at level one, that's when your heart rate is sitting. It's still elevated compared to at rest, but it's not your your heart rate's elevated, but you're not like out of breath. It's not like where you're sprinting and you can't talk to anybody. It's where, you know, things are still leisurely. You can still say your ABCs maybe, and your body's really using oxygen for energy. And that's where we see our blood sugars lower because your body's able to burn the sugar. So when we're thinking about lower blood sugars, we really want to think about it in that context of low intensity or low impact exercise. Mm-hmm. So when I think of this, I'm thinking of going for a walk, doing things like a, a light jog, even yoga can be on the spectrum of like that can be low intensity or high intensity. Weightlifting technically can be low intensity or high intensity depending on how you're working and moving your body, what weights you're lifting. So that's why I think it's so frustrating when people hear, oh, well, I did weightlifting, but my blood sugar still went low and I'm expecting it to go high. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, let's maybe like step back and look at the intensity instead of thinking about the actual category of exercise. So mm-hmm. when we're thinking of a little blood sugar, really think about low impact activity. We do this through the talk test as well. So if you're able to say your ABCs in a workout, you're likely not at a high enough intensity where you'll see a blood sugar spike. So we can pretty much expect it'll either you know stay level if it's moderate intensity or go lower if it's low intensity. So if you're able to say your ABCs, that's your indicator that you know, you're probably not going to see a blood sugar spike. You might see a low. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking of times too when my daughter's has been active, not necessarily like exercising, but active and her blood sugar goes down too. I mean, even even for some people, like cleaning your house can be yep. a workout. So, you know, that can kind of fall into the category of I, I mean, I, I know my heart rate can get up when I'm folding a load of laundry sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It'd be, it'd be an endurance activity for sure. But, you know, vacuuming, mopping, those things are are physically, can be physically, I don't want to say taxing, maybe for some people, but, you know, they, they can definitely be, can fall under the physical activity category. Oh, absolutely. And it's actually, I mean, when you think of the percentage of movement that you're doing throughout your day, I think it's around 80% should be that type of activity where it's like cleaning, walking your dog, you know, that really low intensity movement. Like there's no need to 
overspend your body and always be doing hardcore workouts. So those are equally more, more important, actually, for activity. So what tips do you have for people living with type 1 to keep from going low during these times of like lower impact activities that tend to make blood sugars drop? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Again, when I was given that advice of just keep your blood sugar over 150 and keep low blood sugar snacks with you, it was very overgeneralized. I'm I'm a Virgo. I'm a very type A. So I want to know, okay, well, why is my blood sugar going low? So we understand now the heart rate, the intensity plays a role into it, but there are also all these other factors that can play a role into it as well. So when I'm looking at my activity and my blood sugars, I'm looking at my active insulin on board. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my meal before and my meal timing, and I'm looking at the duration of, acti- of activity. So specifically, if you want to go and do a low activity low intensity activity. So let's say going for a walk, going for a jog, some yoga. We really want to look at first and foremost that insulin on board factor. So the more insulin that you have on board when you're going into these activities, the more likely that you're going to drop a lot faster. So this is where we want to make sure that we're not having a lot of insulin on board when it's at its peak. So usually that like two hour mark. It's where a lot of people are like, well, I ate two hours ago and I'm still dropping. Well, that's kind of because it's at its peak window. So you want to look at your insulin on board. I know this, is, this isn't always totally doable. So this is where we can use those other tools like setting a temp diesel or using the pump features on your on your pump to go into exercise mode just so it's it's really catching you. But outside of that, you know, we can use other tools like our meal before. So the, the food that you have before plays a huge impact on where your blood sugars may play out. So specifically mm-hmm. with low intensity exercise, we can think about incorporating more protein, fat, and fiber to keep our blood sugar more steady instead of where it's just carbs. You're more likely to see that brief spike and then kind of come down really quickly. Whereas like protein, fat, and fiber slow things down to keep to hold you steady for longer. Mm-hmm. So I always encourage my clients of saying, you know, let's make sure that that meal or that snack before is really well-rounded to keep you level throughout your workout. So those Mm -hmm. are like the biggest two things that I would say to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the duration always matters. So, you know, if you're somebody who really likes long runs or hikes, it's not a matter of you can't do it. It's just let's be strategic in being proactive. So setting that temp basil before, making sure that we do have snacks with protein, fat, and fiber in them. There's those kind of tools that you can bring into your strategy to make sure that they stay level. I did a, in back in March, I did a six-mile hike on the Grand Canyon and, you know, I had, I was able to keep things level. It's, it's never that you can't do it. It's just the how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. So for you, I've heard the kind of one to two hour rule about setting a temp basal decrease for activities like that, you know, like one to two hours before you know you're going to exercise. What are you, what are you, what works for you? I'm just curious. And I know everybody's different. Yeah, I usually try to go off of that one to two hour mark. My, my mindset around that is because we know that our insulin lasts in our body up to about four hours. Mm -hmm. So I know that whatever I'm doing to my temp basal now, I'll see for the next two to four hours because that's when we see that peak. So I really try to aim off of that rule. I'm a little bit more moderate in how long I set it for because, again, the longer that we set it, the longer that we'll see its impact. Mm-hmm. So I think w- between temp basils, adding that protein, fat, and fiber into your meals, you're, you're, you have that safety net for the most part. Yeah, it's really amazing what adding the protein, the fat, and the fiber can do to those numbers. I mean, my da- even just this morning, my daughter loves grapes. They are one of her favorite foods, which is fun. <laughs> And that's what she wanted for breakfast. And I was like, okay, that's fine. 
let's add one protein item, you know, and she really didn't want to do that. But I kind of I, I kind of made her which right or wrong or indifferent. But I just knew that without it, we were going to see a big spike, even if we did a hefty pre bolus. And she just ate one piece of chicken sausage before she ate her grapes. And we barely saw a spike. I mean, I think she went up like maybe 30 points or so and then came back down nicely. But I mean, we've done the exact same thing without that one piece of chicken sausage. And she'll, I mean, she can go up to over 200 with even with a hefty pre-bolus. So it's just, it's crazy what that can do. And she, I mean, that's not an exercise situation. That was just an example of adding a little protein to the meal beforehand. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. And that's teaching, I mean, I think it's teaching her to fuel her body or, you know, it's making her feel more satiated for longer. It's, I think adding yen is always a great approach. Yeah, I, I did try to market it as that. Not so much like, I don't, this is going to prevent a blood sugar spike. I was trying to market it more like, hey, if you just eat grapes for breakfast, you're going to be hungry in an hour. Let's have a little bit of protein to keep you fuller for longer. But really in my head, I'm like, and to keep your blood sugar from spiking. <laughs> so anyway, let's see. Let's talk the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, before we move on from that. Is there anything else you want to add about just kind of tips and tricks for keeping blood sugars from going low during physical activity? Yeah, I would say just, you know, keep in mind that just because something doesn't work the first time doesn't mean that it never will. I've been discouraged by exercise a lot. And if you know my mentality, it's like I'd rather try something 20 times and make it work than never do it again. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not always a fan of running or I'm never I'm not always going to be doing yoga. But for the times that I want to do those things, I want to have the tools in my back pocket to make it work. So I know that the low blood sugars are scary and, you know, they can be really discouraging sometimes. But just keep in mind that you can always, you know, try new things the next time. Keep track. I We have our Keep 100 journal for that purpose with a specific exercise section where our mm-hmm. clients are writing out, like, what was my heart rate during this time? What was my be- meal before? What was my insulin on board? So then you can go back and reflect on what didn't work to maybe adjust for next time. And you always have a new way of troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Speaking as a parent, too, because as an adult, you know, you can pretty much predict when you are going to be physically active and when you're going to do your exercise sessions and and whatnot. But as a as a parent of a type one, like sometimes you just don't know, you know, the, a friend's going to knock on the door and they're going to want to ride bikes up and down the street or go outside and play. And that can be very tricky because, you know, a lot of times it's right after school. And when you get home from school, you have a snack and you give insulin for the snack and so now we're dealing with insulin on board. So, I mean, just speaking from my experience as a parent, like there's just not always time to do those temp basils. I mean, I now with the automated system, she's on the Omnipod 5, I'll kick it into to activity mode for an hour or so and then just turn it off when she's done. Or if I know she has a lot of insulin on board, I'll usually be like, okay, yeah, go out, run out and play. But you do need to probably take a juice box with you or just go ahead and drink it because I know you're going to need it just to prevent the drop. And those are the times where I'm, you know, extra diligent about her making making sure she has her devices with her, just even if she just has them in a bag and she throws them on the ground outside while she's, you know, playing up and down the street so I can keep an eye on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And like my my thing is that we're always taught, at least in my experience, I was taught that those were the only tools that we had mm-hmm. of snack, you know, bring your blood sugar up before you exercise. And mm-hmm. I think they're, you know, at some point, there's always a balance of there's sometimes that we can be proactive, but then other times where we have to, we have no choice but other than to respond to the situation because we mm-hmm. can't map everything out, you know, specifically in perfect timing. So I think having, you know, when we can be proactive, having the tools, but then at other points, yeah, mm-hmm. have the tools that you, you're given and, you know, have the juice bots, have the, the, ability to suspend your temp basal or be on activity mode because those, you know, 
at the end of the day, we need to get our blood sugar up and in whatever way we need to do that. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to high blood sugars. So what types of physical activity tend to make people's blood sugar jump up? Yeah, so this is also another thing that I didn't really expect to happen when I was starting to get back into working out. So like I mentioned, I was a gymnast for 10 years. So my around like the six month mark after I was diagnosed, I started doing CrossFit because it was just a challenge. I loved it. And I was always given that advice of your blood sugar will drop. So expect the drop. And then all of a sudden after these workouts, I saw that my blood sugar was going to 250, 300. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't adding up. What's happening here? So mm-hmm. this is where we get into that like level two, that second ventilatory threshold of, of activity. So this is where our heart rate is almost at its peak. This is where you cannot do your talk test. You cannot speak. You can't say your ABCs. You're not talking to your neighbor because all of your energy is going into that activity. Mm-hmm. So we want to think out when it's at, we're at our max, our max threshold. So when we think of our heart rate, this is when we're at like 90%, high 80s, 90% of our heart rate. So if you mm-hmm. want to do the math here, because again, I'm a Virgo, your maximum heart rate is going to be about the number 220 minus your age. So Mm -hmm. I'm 28. My estimated maximum heart rate would be at about 220 minus 28. That's about 192. So if I'm looking at my Apple Watch, I want to look out for when my heart rate is at about like in the high 170s, 180s. That's what I'm looking out for that where I can see that blood sugar spike potentially happening. Mm -hmm. What's happening here is that oxygen just isn't covering it for your body to get through that workout. It needs more to supply more energy to get you through that. So that's where you see that glucose dump. That's where you see that blood sugar spike. Mm. So these are activities where you cannot last in that activity for more than 30, 40 seconds. So Mm. this is where we're thinking about, you know, CrossFit, high intensity or high intensity interval training, sprinting, gymnastics, really high intensity workouts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are kind of hard to navigate. But when you can see the spike coming, when you can kind of look at it ahead of time, You can prepare a little bit easier and know what to do ahead of time. What would be like, do you still, are you still doing CrossFit? I don't. It got a little hard on my body. Mm -hmm. So I stopped doing it. Now I just do more of strength training at the gym, like a commercial gym. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, and does that strength training like in in not so much like a, a hit environment, you know, where you're really kind of spiking things up really quickly? Like, do you see, what do you see with your numbers? Do they? go up, go down, or I mean, you probably have a good strategy at this point, but yeah, honestly, as long as I don't have too much insulin on board, I, mm-hmm. I kind of time mine out pretty intentionally, but it's easy too. I work from home. I can look, you know, at my day and say, I'm going to go to the gym at this time. So mm-hmm. I don't work out at a high enough intensity where my blood sugars are spiking. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in that middle ground, that moderate intensity range where they're staying pretty level. Mm-hmm. I do have to look out for a low, maybe an hour or two after, But Mm -hmm. other than that, getting through the workout itself isn't usually too much of an issue. I had a guest on once that said if she wakes up in the morning and she sees that her blood sugar is like lower and looks like it's maybe going to be even be trending a little bit lower, she'll actually hop on her treadmill and sprint like as fast as she possibly can. And that brings her blood sugar up, which is wild, you know, but it but that, you know, goes in line with what you've been talking about, about that level two where you're working so hard and moving so fast, like you can't even even talk, which is, I'm assuming is kind of the level that she was at when she was seeing her blood sugar go up. But that's one, well, that's one way to do it. I don't have that kind of energy in the morning to hop. I need my coffee first. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'll save that for later in the day for sure. But no, I think my days of sprinting are over anyway. But you know, that's for another that's for another episode. Yeah. Okay. So what what if you're already run? Well, okay. So tips to keep from running high during a workout. I mean, I know for us, there's not a whole lot of workouts that for Sarah yet. She's so young. So she's not really like, you know, doing she she's done dance where like so at the on recital day, I'll kind of keep an eye out for her blood sugar going up, but that's really more from like adrenaline and nerves of her being on stage, I would say, than like, obviously she's not really dancing at that level where, where she can't talk. You know what I mean? It's, it's pretty low key at her age for the most part. But what, what kind of tips do you have, you know, for people who kind of are seeing this trend where they're spiking during workouts? Yeah. So again, managing high blood sugars, I think is a little bit more tricky Mm -hmm. because that's where I mean, number one, paying attention to your meal timing. So I know a lot of our clients, they say, you know, I'm going into this hard workout, so I want to have a meal before. Now, keep in mind that when you're working out, your digestion is slowing down. So if you're having a meal like 30 minutes before you're working out, your digestion is going to slow down and you might not even see that fully digest until after your workout, which can lead to a bigger spike Mm post-workout. So just keeping that in mind, I think, you know, making sure that we're eating our meal an hour or two before if possible. But then moving into the other strategies, it's we need to be mindful about insulin on board because that can always get a little bit tricky. Like once a dose is in, it can be a little harder to navigate. Some people will if they know that they're going into a really high impact workout. I've seen that people will take a dose before. I don't personally love that method just because, again, it it's very hard to gauge. It's not like counting your carbs and taking your insulin where you have a carb ratio. So it's a little hard to navigate, okay, what type of dose do I actually need before? Mm-hmm. So this is where I look more towards, you know, maybe setting an increased temp basal if that feels safe. Mm-hmm. And I also will, if I know that I'm going into a really high impact workout, this is where I will utilize that low impact movement beforehand or afterwards to bring, mm-hmm. to kind of let the, the dust settle if you want to Mm -hmm. If you want to look at it that way. So it's a little bit more tricky, but, you know, sometimes I'll just say, okay, whatever happens, I'll take my correction, but I'll put it, I'll, I'll take half of it or like a certain percent of it because at the end of the day, it will come down. Your insulin sensitivity is higher. So you might notice that you don't need that full correction. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there's a certain amount that we can be proactive, but also that's a time where we need to, I feel safer personally. Mm-hmm. seeing how it plays out, taking that correction and waiting a bit, using that low impact movement to bring it back down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's air on the side of caution, at least for the first few times. I mean, if you're seeing a consistent pattern over and over and over again, then at least I would feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, being a little bit more bold with my insulin choices before a workout. But um, again, I don't, I'm not really dealing with that a whole lot with Sarah. But yeah, looking for patterns is huge with us. And I always just tell myself, like, for instance, testing, like testing days at school, again, not a workout, but just an example of when her blood sugar goes high. I've seen that pattern over and over and over again that now I know like she really does need the extra insulin. But you know what? There's diabetes. You just never know sometimes. So I always make sure on those days when I give her more insulin, I've also sent her with more, you know, low, low treats if she if she needed it. So just be prepared. Right. Exactly. And that's why I usually opt for more like the temp basal work. Which now, you know, with the automated mm-hmm. systems, that's a little bit harder because mm-hmm. I, I don't think they give you the option to do that unless you're off auto mode. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know that at least or an extended bolus. Honestly, I'll do that sometimes, too, where I know I can stop it if I need to. Yeah. But again, that's just me yeah. going on the side of the question. Right. Right, right, right. 
I know I'm trying to th- I was trying to think about that. What would that look like for the Omnipod 5 if I were to do that? Because there's no like temp basil when you're in auto mode. I could flip it into manual mode and then I could do a temp basil. But if I didn't want to get out of auto mode for whatever reason, I guess I could lower the target. I think that's the I've found that's like the best way to affect the algorithm is to change the target. So I guess a temp basil increase would kind of translate maybe into like a lowering the target for but I've never tried that. So don't, you know, again, y'all heard the disclaimer. Y'all heard the disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. This is <laughs> this is not medical advice. Okay. We were just having a friendly conversation. <laughs> it's good to have options though. I used to yeah. get really overwhelmed by all the options that there were, but now I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's almost like an experiment. I can try different things so that I know what might or might not work for next time. Mm-hmm. Very true. Okay. So what about working out if your blood sugar is already running high? I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts on that? You know, if people are already running high, like if they're in a race or a competition, I just interviewed a lady that ran the New York City Marathon and her blood sugar was like really high the whole time, but never was high during training. What do you, what do you suggest? Like just let it go or what are your thoughts? Yeah, this one's a little bit tricky too because mm-hmm. Obviously, movement can be a great tool for high blood sugars. But at the same time, when we're thinking about competitions or races, that's where it can be a little tricky because that's where we see our heart rate higher, the adrenaline's going, extra stress. So mm-hmm. the general recommendation is if you're on if you have a high blood sugar of over, I believe it's two fifty to three hundred, mm-hmm. then check for ketones to make sure that there are no ketones present. Mm-hmm. If you don't have ketones present, then, you know, opt for more low intensity movement. Mm-hmm. Now, in the sense of you're doing a sport or not or a competition, that's not always the option. Mm-hmm. So this is where we really want to focus on, you know, using insulin if that's something that you're comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, if you have ketones or you have high blood sugar, your body needs it. Mm-hmm. Being cautious of what that can happen as we're moving. But, you know, insulin, hydration, and maybe trying to fit in some low impact movement to bring things down to a safe range so that when you Mm -hmm. are competing and your blood sugar spikes, you just don't want it to go higher and then bring on more ketones. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more tricky. I would say use your best discretion and, you know, go based off of your own trends and patterns. But just be wary that if your blood sugar is already high and you're doing more high impact movement, it can lead things the other way instead of bringing them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I like how you mentioned hydration too. I always forget about hydration and it's such an important tool. I think, you know, just in my experience, like that's a good, that's a good thing to try if you've kind of already tried everything else. You know what I mean? Like, why don't, why don't we just drink a big old glass of water and see if that helps things move along? It's yeah. so simple, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a great tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rather than just continuing to pump more insulin into the system. You know, of course, if there's no ketones present, I guess, like you said, if there's ketones, you, you need that insulin. Okay. So we kind of talked about this already as a parent of a T1D. Yeah, I guess just any advice for parents that you can think of, you know, just like I said before, like kids can be so unpredictable with when they're going to do physical activity and how much. Just any kind of general tips, tricks for parents who want to keep their kids safe? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, there's kind of going back to that whole idea of there's a certain amount of proactivity that we can have. And Mm -hmm. when we can integrate those tools, fantastic. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're doing your best being a parent and Mm -hmm. kids are unstoppable. I, Mm -hmm. when I was doing gymnastics, even without type one, I didn't want anybody to get in my way. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think most of all, giving them the empowerment that you know, diabetes doesn't have to stop them and they can continue doing the sports and activities that they love and they can feel strong. There's nothing better than feeling strong as a type one. So 
I think it's just leaning into that balance of, yes, be proactive when we can, but when we need to respond, that's all it is. It's a response. It's not always being reactive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're doing you're doing great if you're listening in and you're a parent. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, thank you. We all need to hear that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again for your time. If you guys missed the last episode with Lissy, it was just last week. Please go back and take a listen. I thought it was really, really great. We just kind of talked about flexible ways to lower your A1C without you know, going insane, basically. And I thought it was a great conversation. So go back. I'll leave a link to that episode as well in the show notes. And I will definitely, again, leave a link to where people can find you on the internet and on social media. But thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I love these conversations. So I appreciate it. Yeah. You're so welcome. And I, I, I want people to know, you know, I think I said it in the last episode, but if you, if you are over the age of 18 and you feel like you need a little bit of extra help managing those blood sugars, just look up, look up Lissy and her team. And I know they would be more than happy to help. And I can cut this out if you want me to, but you meant, I don't remember if we were recording when you said this last time, but you're in the process of developing a system for parents, right? A, a course for parents of type 1 diabetics? Yep. Yeah. So that you can keep this in. We are, mm-hmm. so we have our signature program, Keep You 100, and we are working on making an extension, Keep 100 Kids, for, for parents to go through alongside of their kids. So again, just kind of going through that flexible center, flexibility-centered approach to encouraging them through their decision-making, walking them through the strategy so that they have those tools as they get older with type 1. And just setting those foundations, those strong foundations. So that will be here early 2023, and we're really excited for it. Okay, awesome. Share that with me when it when it's finally live, and I will share that with my listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, that's it for our show today. Lissy, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you for those nuggets of wisdom about how to keep our blood sugars stable while exercising. We all know that can be a really tricky balance sometimes, so I appreciate your wisdom. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes. You'll find a link to last week's episode that also featured Lissy. You'll also find links to where you can find Lissy on the web at the Needles and Spoons website, as well as where you can find her on social media. And don't forget guys if you are over the age of 18 or excuse me 18 or older and you feel like you might need some one-on-one coaching yourself from Lissy and her team you can do that again I will leave a link to her website in the show notes so you can find her and sign up for her services all right you guys have a fabulous week I will be back next week with a fun guest to talk about self-care for the type one parent and caregiver until then stay calm and bolus on bye